we have to say, ladies and gentlemen, in gender-neutral terms. Sorry. <laughs> you tell him that I'll have his money when I'm damn well ready. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian! I think you broke it. Look what you made me do! And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. Years and it, just because radio. it, but it's Hell such a, a yeah, it's true. Hell um, in a Cell Talk Radio. Um, but the way they. The cooling corpse of Terry Funk could hit the ropes better than Tyrus did. Oh my god. I listen. Listen. There's there's only <laughs> There's two people I know that can't beat my ass. One of them I'm not allowed to say his name or I'll get shot. And uh, the other one is Tyrus. And to 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 say so it says you'll never tell him he sucks to his face. I will absolutely walk up to him and say, You suck. Is he going to do assault me? I mean, you know, he's already going to beat his kids for... Uh, he already said he'd beat his kids if they ever dared share feelings. Mm. Okay. Whatever. Oh, he's got yes. that Fox News money. He's... Yeah, get that. He's not even on the network. He's on the app. Isn't he on, like, Fox Nation or some shit? Uh, he used to be, and now he's, like, just on gut feel every once in a while. Yeah. Or most, almost constantly. I don't know. I only watch I Fox News know. when I'm at my parents. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know. Not my week Just, to watch him. I mean, if you want to run, <laughs> Jim Spector, if you want to wear, if you want to tire out Tyrus, just have him run the ropes. I mean, apparently. Yeah. Listen, I've run the ropes once or twice. I've taken a bump here or there. Nothing in spectacular, but I'm just saying I could, I could take Pratt fall better than Tyrus. I'm sure there's evidence of it somewhere. I'm ready to see that again and laugh at that. Um, but you know what? That's the only publicity that man is ever going to get again on this show, other than when he retires and we can all laugh and point and laugh. Ha ha ha. We have more serious things to talk about. We have Jesus. I, I don't even know how to set this up. Um, but we're all together again, as you heard the dulcet tones of one Bobby Brown uh, bring us in. We have the Omega Squad. We have the Lagans of Craig. Uh, the the uh, Amber's Amber's um, pet, as it were. Uh, we're all here, much like I'm Philly's pet. Amber Amber owns the show. Um, HIC Talk Radio. Uh, I don't. I really don't know. I can't believe we're having this conversation because I, you know, we went. We I went into this week thinking, ah, we're gonna have a great. We're going to have a great discussion about Terry Funk. I mean, he was 80 or was almost 80. Was he 80 or 90? He was 80, I think. 79. You yeah. see, he almost made it to 80. He had yeah. a good long life. Most wrestlers, especially wrestlers that took the beatings that man did, never make it that long, let alone stay married to the same woman his entire life. And she passed away before him. And I think I was listening to the click or click this with uh, uh, 
Why am Kevin I blanking Nash. his name now? Kevin Nash? No, his co-host. Oh, the other guy. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, but he's he's a he's a journalist that actually does journalism and stuff. Um, so I like to try to respect him, unlike Hannibal and and, and other other folks. Um, Sean, it's Sean. Okay. Um, I heard Kevin mentioning that uh, you know he talked to Terry every now and then, and he he really felt that losing his wife kind of took it out of him. Of course. And, and, and like yeah, you would be even you live that long together. Yeah. For in forty years, and yeah. we'll get into in a second. He's the, she's the reason why his NWA title run. I wouldn't say cut short. He held it for a year, but he yeah, yeah asked, it wasn't cut short. But <laughs> yeah, he but he, he it was supposed to be longer. But he asked uh, out because he uh, wanted to work on his marriage and his children, and he did, and he stayed with his wife another forty years, which is incredible in any walk of life, let alone being married to a professional wrestler. Being married to a professional athlete anyway is you know a tremendous strain on any relationship. Um, but, you know, being married to a professional wrestler, especially to one of the last, you know, uh, traveling NWA champions and what yeah, and really. being the NWA champion, you traveled unlike the AWA and the WWF, which had a centralized geographic location. You were the NWA champion. You were on the road 315 to 20 days a year. Um so and when he was NWA champion, he uh asked uh off asked to uh to work on his marriage. That's why after he lost to Harley Race, Terry Funk pretty much went away. Um wasn't didn't wrestle anywhere um for a while. So when he came back, um I'd say late 78, um he was in the in the best shape of his life and he did some you know incredible stuff that you know, we'll touch upon in the historian, but yeah, after he lost the NWA title, he was he was off of wrestling. He didn't wrestle for at least a year. Um, well, yeah, let's let's talk about Terry then. Um, instead of leading up to it, because that was in the sequence of really terrible events. The first one, uh, Terry Funk passed away, seventy nine years old. Um, and the I will say this though, the first thing I did. And I do this out of respect. Not, I'm not mocking the man. Was uh, look up that uh, <laughs> that hardcore match on Thunder between. I know you're going to go. Why would you look that one up, Dan? Well, well, Craig, for the specific reason, uh, um, it has one of the funniest friggin' things I've ever seen in my life in it. Uh, it takes place on Thunder. They drive out to either in East Jabumble F somewhere on thunder you know a thousand people in the arena and uh they him and candido are having a heck of a beat em up i mean at least it looked good it's chris candido and terry funk drive out to this farm they start fighting <laughs> gm specter says the candido one that one's awesome yeah uh <laughs> there they, everybody knows at one point terry gets his head just pushed into a pile of horse shit and and you know, Bobby pointed out. He goes, "He's a farmer. He does that every day. Who cares?" <laughs> In a um, test. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at one point, they go brawling, kind of tumble into this horse um, stall, and they don't touch the horse, and you can't even see the whole horse. You just see the back half, and they get close. 
and Terry does a pile driver to Candido. <laughs> and they land and kind of almost kind of fall towards this horse. And that horse takes two swipes with its feet. Bang, bang. And just, <laughs> just misses killing Terry. <laughs> By that much. And all Terry can do, you see Candido just roll, like no sell the pile driver and roll right the hell out of there. Like, I'm out. Nope. Not me. <laughs> but all, all Terry can do is pick up whatever they're hitting each other with and go, I'll kill your horse. God damn it. <laughs> it's one of the funniest. I love it so much. That's the first thing I did was just watch it on repeat. Because it's so funny. Because you know, he was legit. He owned a farm. Yeah. Out out in um Amarillo, Texas. That's what he did. He didn't give a shit about that horse. <laughs> that he, that the horse almost killed him. It's that close to killing him or, or knocking him into a vegetable state. Both of them. Candido was out and he just yells at the horse and walks out. It's the funniest thing. <laughs> um, Terry was an NWA champion. He's one of those guys that Craig and I always kind of mention off to the side. He probably should have been champion more than once, but it was just what he didn't need it. Um, legendary member of the Funk family, Dory Funk Jr., um, Dory Funk, um, P Funk, P Bitty Bitty Diddy Funk. No, no relation to no relation to Flash there, Funk. Flash Funk, no relation. There was a little time when I was a little kid. I thought maybe there was. No, yeah, never no, know. No, no relation to Jimmy Jack. No, no, no. he was a, he was an actor. He was an actor that showed up in a string of movies in the eighties. Yes. Um, and. I've been trying to find a way to say this. He see saying single-handedly is incorrect, but if there was, if you were missing a puzzle piece in the world, in the puzzle that is ECW, just finding that one puzzle piece that will finish it was Terry Funk. Who was arguably, he was 20 years past his air quotes. I'm using air quotes prime. Because it was the one guy that when he came back into WWF and then when he went back to WCW, not one person went, I sold, get him off my TV because he didn't try to get in the world title picture. He didn't try to meddle in the main storylines. He was always there for a hardcore match. I think him and Big Vito wrestled six times on Nitro just to kill 20 minutes because they could kill 20 minutes. And it was just fun. It wasn't that important. Also known for lifting Cactus Jack's career up and them almost killing each other every night for years all over the world. There's not a thing that Terry Funk could do. And I just want to put an asterisk. He is the creator of the best slash worst looking moonsault ever in history in general. They look bad, but somehow by the time he landed on the person, it looked great and it looked painful. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. Um, Craig and Chris take it away. Terry Funk. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly one of those names uh, that you you know, it's synonymous with wrestling history, synonymous with hardcore matches. Um, you know, wrestled all over the place, and you know, certainly had a full, full life, full career, and all that stuff. I'll I'll defer to you guys. You're more the experts on on Terry Funk than I am. Um, but you know, even I know with my only tangential uh wrestling knowledge that yeah terry funk was the real deal he was a tough tough sob and he was he was 
put on great matches and that career longevity. You can't really, you cannot knock him at, at the slightest. He, he was a legend. He, you know, all, all of famer. And I absolutely no, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. And, and the ones, the matches I've seen have, have all been, been very good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're gonna, if you're after a full life, you know, full respect to, to, Terry to Funk. And let me just add two extra things where Craig does the, uh, Craig does an amazing thing of tributes while also covering kind of like a mini historian where he just hits all the good parts. Boom, boom, boom. Um, Oh, Jesus, I just blanked on both of them. Wow, that was ADHD live. Good job, Dan. My oh, the knee, the knee, the 1997. So uh, beyond the mat, we could, we, which back in the day when we were younger, like this movie's great. Uh, Craig was a little older, so he's like, fuck these guys. Like, fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck that movie. I, I can kind of feel that. But, you know, we were both there opening night, just in different places. Um. But there's a little feature on Terry there when it was was like third retirement match, second. I don't know. Yeah. Um, which also slash was the second of third time that WWF, WCW, and ECW wrestlers wrestled on the same car without issues, just wrestled each other. Um, and I always think about when someone says define Terry Funk. There's a scene in that movie where he's talking to the doctor. The doctor's got both of his knees up on the MR, uh, from the x-ray. And to paraphrase the doctor, he says, well, your right knee is bone on bone. You shouldn't be walking comfortably at all. You should be pain all the time. This left knee is getting there. <laughs> and Terry Funk's reply is, well, if I if I quit now and retire, can I can I can I live comfortably? And the doctor goes, you shouldn't be living comfortably now. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, the man, I always hate the phrase. That's like, saying, I might as well wrestle. <laughs> yeah, gonna, and then he wrestled for another 15 years. What the hell right. do I know? Um, uh, so when someone says what well, Terry Funk, when when somebody always brings up Terry Funk, Mick Foley, those hardcore guys that uh, and I'm talking about before the explosions of that are you know everywhere now you know the before times when you read about it in a magazine or on a tape reel a month later uh when someone says mick and terry have a death wish no i just think they're nuts and they have a pain threshold that you and i and and craig can never understand uh so that's why they can do it um and yes jam specter says almost forgot his quick appearance at wwf did the Royal Rumble, the getting in the brawl with Steve Austin and shotgun. shotgun. Um, what the hell did they call him? Craig, I'm Chainsaw Charlie. Chainsaw, Chainsaw Charlie. Thank you. I was blanking so hard on that. Him and Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie having that mini feud with the road dogs. Again, getting them over. Because in no world should that have happened. <laughs> yeah, Terry is. A, and I don't think. I don't think. Uh, Terry, even though, you know, he was 79, I think he stopped aging at 50. Stayed about the same till about 70. And then aged properly. <laughs> like he looked the same for years. I don't know, man. If he, he, he that fountain youth is probably sitting there under his farm. He just forgot. He's like, I'm 50. I forgot. Let me do it now. 
ahead, Craig. What it, what Terry Funk did, I think the the word I would use for um, he legitimized ECW. ECW okay, yeah. had had um had already had a reputation of of being wild and uh getting and and through Eddie Gilbert and and Paul I had connections to you know the NWA and uh people they had previously worked with so you can get stars like Road Warrior Hawk like Stan Hansen and Kevin Sullivan uh to show up in the ECW arena but Terry Funk was a a huge get because he was a former world champion. And we talked many times on this podcast about guys that are legendary uh, wrestlers and we're known for them as being legendary champions, but they only held it once. Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage are, are, are universally hailed as some of the greatest intercontinental champions of all time. They only held it once. Um, the the Road Warriors, um, the, arguably the best tag team in the NWA the first five years of their existence. Only held the NWA tag team title once. Uh, Terry Funk will forever be known as a former world champion, but only held the title once. Uh, and that carry, and that will time. carry, yeah, and that but that will carry someone uh, for you know the rest of their careers. And what Terry Funk did, um, being uh, NWA champion, that it um, not only because he. You're fo- he's following in his brother, Dory Funk, who held the title for two years. And to put the belt on Terry Funk, uh, and this is back in the day, kids, where being the NWA world champion was something that had to be voted on and decided by a board of governors uh, that included Vince McMahon Sr. And um, one of the, uh, one of the, when we were looking at memories of, of Terry Funk, I think he uh, he was taking a picture with uh, uh, Carrie Von Erich or one of the Von Erichs, and he just turned to him and said, "Your dad was the deciding vote on giving me the NWA title, and I always am grateful to him for that." So it was Fritz Von Erich who uh, uh, was one of the ones that voted along with Eddie Graham and Vince McMahon Sr. to put the belt on Terry Funk, and Terry was before that was uh, one of the great. Uh, territory wrestlers uh anywhere he was he was a georgia champion he was the united states champion the mid-atlantic um he went to one hour draws with paul jones he was there was a great article in one of the after magazines that says i'm not my brother's policeman what terry funk would do depending on the territory they were at he would wrestle the guys that were considered the number one contenders for dory funk's nwa champion and like if you can get by Terry, that meant that you could get a title shot at Dory. And he would do that everywhere. He'd go to Florida, go to Georgia, and he would call out and he either he would do it as a heel or he'd do it as a face. You know, you want to get to my brother, you got to get to me. And if you and if Terry agreed to put this guy over, then that guy would get a shot at Dory for the NWA championship. And that went a long way in the NWA Board of Governors deciding to put the belt on Terry because um, you know, Jack Briscoe was a was a made man. Jack Briscoe was a guy that um every promoter loved. Hell Vince McMahon Sr. loved. He loved Jack Briscoe so much he wanted his own Jack Briscoe and he called him Bob Ackland. Uh so getting the belt <laughs> off off Briscoe was going to be something. And um Jack and Terry the, the Briscoes and the Funks 
long history uh, in res in professional wrestling and in just in the business alone. So Jack dropping it to Terry was uh, no, he, you know, he wouldn't. He, you know, the the ironic thing he he wouldn't drop it to Dory. He was supposed to, uh, and he didn't want to do it in Texas. So enter Harley Race, who uh, beat Dory, and then Jack Briscoe beats Harley Race a month later, and. <laughs> and that's how uh, how Jack wins the title. Uh, he didn't want to put Dory over, but he he didn't mind doing it for Terry. And uh, in 19, December 1975, he did it. He got a standing ovation. If you look, go on YouTube, kids. Uh, December 21st, 1975, when Terry Funk wins the uh, uh, NWA championship. I got to see that because championship wrestling from Florida was thanks to a handshake agreement from Eddie Graham and Vince McMahon Sr. I got to see championship wrestling from Florida up here in Philly in the Northeast. So I got to see that championship. So I got to see Terry Funk defeat Jack Briscoe for his first and only NWA championship. And it's Terry Funk is probably the most chameleon-like professional wrestler because he had so many phases of his career. The NWA champion Terry Funk was a clean-shaven um, he was a babyface in Texas. He was a heel in Georgia and in Florida, but uh, uh just a very staid, calm. When he you see him in, being interviewed by Gordon Soley, he will say, "Well, Mister Soley, I just want to tell you that I'm a professional athlete, and anyone who wants a shot at my belt, I will gladly give them one if I think they've earned it." After he loses the belt, and he comes back, uh, with a beard. And keep in mind, he's only in his in his late thirties, and he's he'll go to Memphis and he'll and he'll get so fed up that Jerry Lawler, he's got everybody on his side. The referees are on his side. the The judges are on his side. The ring announcer is on his side. The police are on his side. The whole time he he's poking Lance Russell. Everybody's on his side, Lance. So I'm going to have a match with Jerry Lawler where nobody can be on his side. And that started the first empty arena match in professional wrestling history uh, that has been copied uh, over and over. But uh, they have Eddie and, and uh, Eddie, uh, Terry and Jerry Lawler do it. Uh, was amazing. And if you see it now, uh, it still gets to me. Terry, Terry, Terry Funk is in the ring waiting for him, and Lance Russell there smoking a cigarette, um, and doesn't know. Well, we're live. Okay, he puts out the cigarette. Uh, we're here in the Mid South Coliseum, empty as you can see, and Terry Funk in his wrestling. Where is he? Where is he, Lance? Where is he? He goes out of the ring and starts grabbing Lance. Wait, and of course, Lance like, come on now, Terry. I I don't know where he is. And Jerry Lawler shows up wearing a cape. And his crown. And Terry Funk goes, What are you wearing a crown for, you idiot? There's nobody here. And I read Jerry Lawler's book, and he talks about this match. And he goes, You know, Terry had a point. That was kind of stupid. I don't know why I wore a crown and a cape because there was nobody there. And they they had this empty arena match, and they had to. To make it, it they, it was, they both said, Terry and Jerry Laurie said at both times, at both different parts of their life, it was so quiet 
they didn't realize how quiet it was. So they kept trying to make noise and make everything like louder than it was. So you can hear Terry breathing. And when he threw him in the chair in, outside in the chair and they had to, they knocked over as many chairs as possible to make noise. Uh, and they just incredible. So it was, there was that Terry Funk. There was the Terry Funk um, in like in Memphis. Are you a sissy? I see a sissy. And he, chased Jim Cornette around the ring and ripped his pants off. Um, well, he, he nailed that one there. <laughs> legitimately <laughs> ripped his rip. And that was a rib on, uh, on Cornette because he was a big fan of, uh, of Terry, but he had no idea Terry Funk was going to do that. Jerry Lawler was in such a, a fit with having Jimmy Hart and Jim Cornette there. he, needed a partner and he asked Eddie Marlin, get me a partner. I don't care who it is. And he goes, are you sure? He goes, yeah. And Eddie Marlin said, I'm going to get you the toughest, roughest, craziest guy in professional wrestling. So Jerry could know who it was. And then here comes Terry Funk. And he said, Terry Funk made an agreement. He was not going to turn on me. And if he does, I own his ranch. And then Terry Funk came out on Memphis TV and said, oh, Lawler, I'll be face to face with you because I know you're not a sissy, but I know a sissy when I see one and I see a sissy. And he's pointing at Jim Cornette and he just takes off and runs after Jim Cornette. And he was chasing him around and he runs into Coco Beware, who was sweet brown sugar at the time. And he throws Cornette at him and, and <laughs> the Chris. Fans, if you ever want to rip off someone's pants, you put your hands in their pocket in the seam and just pull down, and that will rip <laughs> your opponent's pants off. And that's what he did to Jim, uh, to Jim Cornette. Terry, and so that was Terry Funk in Memphis, and Terry Funk in Japan was like uh, the Rock and John Cena combined. He was probably the most popular wrestler American wrestler in the history of Japan all the streamers that you see that started with Terry Funk when he would come to the ring and all the streamers that started with him they had they never done that for any Japanese wrestler I mean a wrestler in Japan American or otherwise but it was because of their love for Terry Funk for whatever it was they absolutely adored the man and that segued him into uh into Hollywood. Uh the first stay with me, Chris. I'm going somewhere with this. All right. I know it's it's late, but I, I'm I'm I trust me, I'm gonna pull you in on this. Um the first time Sylvester Stallone ever directed a movie, the first movie he ever wrote wasn't Rocky. I mean, sorry, the first movie he ever directed wasn't Rocky it too. It was Paradise Alley. And this was a period piece set in Hell's Kitchen in 1940s wrestling. And I went to see this in a the theater, paid money to see this in a the theater, even though I was 12 years old, because this movie was promoted on WWF television. Vince McMahon talked about it. This was the biggest match. I mean, this was how this is Sylvester Stallone, and he's making the movie about wrestling. And Terry Funk is in it, and he's got a big part in it. And in the montage, not only is Terry Funk as one of the stars of this movie, but Ray Stevens is in it. Dick Murdoch is in it. Tommy Gilbert, Eddie's father, is in it. Ted DiBiase is in it. 
You see Ray Stevens do the original flare flop on the buckles. It was amazing. This is the only time you would see mainstream wrestlers on the big screen. And that was because of Terry Funk. And, you know, Stallone told us, tell the story about the stuntmen on the set that were given Terry or talking about these wrestlers, um, you know, in a bad light. And Stallone was the one that said, hey, these guys go out every night and do everything that we're about to do here. They do it all in one take with four people, with all four corners of people watching them. So, you know, you guys ain't shit compared to them. You guys are stuntmen. These guys are, they, they do it for, they do it live. And we have to do it, you know, two or three, five times to get it right. So, but it was Terry Funk, his friendship with Stallone um, and him giving him kind of like a pipeline to other wrestlers um, because he already had the idea for Rocky three in his head. And that's how enter Hulk Hogan. Um, he, it was Terry Funk who told uh, Stallone, if you want wrestlers for other Matt, for other movies, you know, let, I'll let you know what's who would fit the bill. And Stallone wanted a big, you know, larger than life guy. He loved Terry, but the part of Thunderlips, you know, that had to be a Hulk Hogan type. And that Hogan and Rocky three changed professional wrestling, you know, forever because of that. But it was because of Stallone's relationship with Terry Funk that that got Hogan uh, the part. And he, Terry Funk just he kept him, himself in shape so much so that in 1989, he was brought in to the NWA to be a judge for the Ric Flair-Ricky Steamboat uh, championship match because they went to a draw in the Superdome. So this one, they had a winner. So if they had another draw, there would be judges, and one of them was Terry Funk. Ric Flair regains the belt from Ricky Steamboat and Terry Funk gets in the ring to congratulate Ric Flair and it turns into an angle. Something that no one saw coming because Terry Funk was retired. But what we didn't know was when that feud started with Ric Flair that Terry Funk was in the best shape of his life. If you look at Terry Funk in 1989 compared to Terry Funk in 1975 when he was the NWA world champion... That's like night and day. This was a tan, chiseled Terry Funk, who was only 45, all right, and and supposedly retired. And he comes out, and he has a program with Ric Flair that lasts about, what's it, like six months? Only six months, because they had their, um, uh, the return, they had the Clash of Champions, where he put the plastic bag over his head, and, uh, he had the um, the Halloween Havoc match, the first match that Dan Calachico ever saw live. Yes, sir. um, in the old convention, Philadelphia. Well, first, first event, yeah. First man, yeah, yeah. And it culminated in the I Quit match, uh, in nineteen eighty nine, uh, February of that year, and that was it. And uh, Jim Hurd, in his imminent wisdom, thought that Terry Funk was too old uh, to keep wrestling, and he wanted him to be an announcer. So out of nowhere, Terry Funk, who was the most number one contender of the NWA championship, 
and had great matches with uh, Flair and, and Ricky Steamboat. Now all of a sudden was an announcer. He was the guy in the ring when Ric Flair turned on Sting, uh, the night Sting uh, tore his ACL. But it started with Terry Funk in the ring talking with Ric Flair, Sting, and uh, Ole and Arn Anderson. Uh, and Terry would leave. He wasn't a bad announcer, but he won. He knew he had some more left because the next time I saw Terry Funk was here in Philadelphia and ECW with striped tights on and wrestling his guts out against guys twice his age. Um, Shane Douglas, Sabu, uh, the Sandman. Um, and he, like I said, legitimized ECW. And there's so many, you know, memories with him, uh, with him and Jerry Lawler, with him and Ric Flair, the promos. Um, you have, you can have a wild, the middle-aged and crazy Terry Funk. You have the soft-spoken Terry Funk. You have the Terry Funk in, in Japan and he's smiling and waving and kids, kids are running up to him. Uh, there was the the Joe Goodhart Terry Funk. I saw Terry Funk live the first time right here, Philadelphia, with Joe Goodhart paid out of his own pocket. Uh, uh, wrestlers to come here that have never wrestled here in in this part of the country. We'd only read about them in After magazines, and he Joe Goodhart had the was a visionary that saw these the not only brought. Uh, Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler, Austin Idol, the fabulous ones, Iceman King Parsons to Philadelphia because we never seen them wrestle. He had the unique ideas of how the matches put on. It was Eddie Gilbert versus Cactus Jack in a two out of three fall match. And every fall was a different stipulation. A first fall was a stretcher match. Second fall was a Texas death. Third fall was a cage match. And with Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler, he had the first ever, first, last, and only audience participation lumberjack match. Everyone who wanted to participate to be a lumberjack, they're picking guys out of the crowd. They'd have to sign a waiver. And if they pick your name, uh, you have they call your name, you have to come down to ringside and you were a lumberjack. So if they read your name, Chris, you were the lumberjack and a Jerry Lawler versus Terry Funk match. And what would happen was Funk would, like he always does, he'd throw somebody on the, out of the ring um, just because he was Terry Funk. And with Lawler would throw him out, and as soon as Terry landed on in the ring, the minute someone put their hands on him, uh, he would turn around like in a daze and grab them and shake them. And this was back when we didn't know what a work was. So you had guys, <laughs> grown men, legitimately afraid for their lives. And it was Terry Funk, that whole, you know, how he just grabbed me and just he pulled the knuckle out like that. And he'd make like he was going to, like any second, He's going to clock this guy. And of course he never would. But because it was Terry Funk, you didn't know. You right. didn't know if he would actually hit you. And that was all stemmed from, I'm all over the place now, from his first appearance in the WWF. He came to the ring fully decked out. 
hat, vest, scarf, chaps. So he had to get undressed. And when you got had a lot of clothes on, you had to give them to the ring attendant and he would take them back to the dressing room. The ring attendant was Mel Phillips at the time. And what Mel would do when he would get a lot of stuff, he'd wear it. Like he'd put around, like if somebody had a big hat, like Adrian Adonis had his leather hat, he just put it on and he'd grab his leather jacket and go. Well, Terry Funk gave him his stuff and he put on, he grabbed the, the he had the, the chaps, he had the his vest and Terry gave him his hat and his arms were, were full. So Mel Phillips just put on Terry Funk's hat and Terry was taking off his chaps and he looked up and he saw Mel Mel Phillips wearing his hat and he grabbed him and he just beat the living piss out of Mel Phillips, dragged him in the ring, punched him, kicked him. The guy that he was wrestling, he threw him out of the ring and just started wailing the shit out of him. And this was his debut on WWF. I knew who he was, but of course, all these idiot marks that watched nothing but WWF had no idea that this is a former NWA champion. All they know is this wild-eyed lunatic just beat the shit out of the ring attendant for no reason. Of course, now we wish he had beaten Mel Phillips more and legitimately <laughs> shoot on him and maybe broken something, but... Well, you know. Yeah. But that yeah. was our introduction to Terry Funk uh, in the WWF and the fact that Terry Funk was a nut. So when we had an audience participation lumberjack match, every time that Terry Funk went outside the ring, he would intentionally grab someone and look like, and they were like, oh shit, run, run, run. Don't even, you're, I know you're supposed to be a lumberjack, but don't. And I was so excited. I wanted my name to be called. But now after it was like, thank God they didn't call my name. Because if I was, I would have ran the other way. That's one thing that we were talking about when you see wrestlers now walking through the crowd or a heel going into the crowd, there's no fear. And it pisses me off. Uh, it still pisses me off. Of a heel go... How, I mean, like... How how far do you think the Midnight Express would have gotten if they came through the crowd in 1987 through the... Five inches. Building? Yeah, if that. But now it's nothing. But if Terry Funk was in the crowd, yeah, yeah you fucking ran. Um, except you're in Japan, you'd run towards him. But uh, in the in the United States, uh, you'd run. Uh, he set the bar so high in terms of uh, promos and just uh, excitement in the ring. This is a guy that's always drawn money wherever he's gone. And he, he leaves ECW, he goes to the WWF, he debuts as Chainsaw Charlie with pantyhose on his head, even though everyone on Earth knows he's Terry Funk. And he was, the crowd was chanting Terry, Terry, while he was introduced as Chainsaw Charlie. And he said he put uh, the New Age Outlaws over. The first time the New Age Outlaws won the tag team championship was beating Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack and Terry Funk were the WWF tag team champions. Okay? And this is after Terry was in ECW and was ECW champion. After Terry had done another tour of Japan with his brother. And it's after Jim Hurd 
said he was too old to uh to wrestle in the NWA. Yeah, it's almost like Jim Hurd doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. I hmm. well, well that couldn't be true, Dan. He no. was he was <laughs> he was the executive of WCW during the time oh. it lost the most money of any time. Those guys have great track records. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but he was a guy that and I was lucky enough to see him wrestle again uh November seventh, two thousand five. Two thousand five, a full thirty years. After he won his first NWA championship, I was at a show called November Rain, R-E-I-G-N, at the uh, ECW arena. Uh, Terry Funk, get this, Terry Funk teamed up with Terry Bronk, Sabu, Funk and Bronk, uh, to go up against the Dudley Boys. Uh, and I remember watching the the, the ropes were so loose because it wasn't your typical ECW crew. ECW had been gone for a while. That Terry was, went up there and he was going to do a moonsault, but because the ropes were so loose, he just jumped backwards and kind of did the nasty plunge into uh, all three guys. And uh, afterwards, Bubba took the mic and put Terry over and Sabu over, and it was a great moment. That would be the last time I'd see him wrestle live. I have his book... Um, that I tried to look for before we went on the air uh, to share with you guys because he talked about a lot of great stuff in there. And I promise I'll have it for our next show. Um, but, you know, he was he was one of the greatest heels of all time. Um, he's one of the greatest promos of all time. He was a guy that he, I guess would all, he, he seems like he was always there somewhere. You know, out of all the, the old NWA champions, the traveling champions, he, his brother, and Flair were the only were the only ones left. But uh, Flair only had like has like one path. You know, you can trace Ric Flair's path kind of like with a straight line. With Terry Funk, he was this guy, and then he was he was the clean cut babyface NWA champion. Then he was the middle aged and crazy Terry Funk. Then he was ECW Terry Funk, and then he's Chainsaw Charlie Terry Funk. He was the WWF beat up a ring attendant, Terry Funk. Uh, so many, wait, different. He was, if you ever saw Terry Funk in Florida, he had the boat Derek hair. He had his hair in cornrows in Florida uh, with a beard when he was Florida heavyweight champion. That Terry Funk. Um, if we do historian, uh, he, there was, he had a, a very historic moment this week in wrestling. Um not enough things to say about him that haven't been already been said by the legends. I was lucky enough to see him wrestle live uh, in three different phases of his life. Um, and it was just an honor to, uh, to be able to, to be able to say that because not a lot of people can say that, but everyone who did meet him was the truth. He was as fearful as he was. He was one of the nicest people you know that and wrestling doesn't have a lot of nice guys and and he was one of them and i'm gonna stop talking i mean wow that was the point man <laughs> talk what in the dean dong are you talking about Jim Spector? <laughs> it's so many uh, I mean, yeah i mean just his promos alone we could do a whole podcast on that because they were they were gold they were epic you a yellow belly 
egg sucking. Egg sucking dog, a Ric Flair. You know what, Ric Flair? You know what Mick Foley said about you in his book? <laughs> he always said about me. <laughs> what did he say? Is that Ric Flair would be a pimple on Terry Funk's ass? Yeah. Or yeah. when he wrestled Ric Flair, you banana nose, horse you banana teeth. nose. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> horse teeth, jackass, and uh, Dusty Rhodes, you egg sucking dog. Terry. Yeah, yeah, Terry. What a career! What a life! Um, I guess I'll start the segment by just quoting him. Um. Wrestling is not a love story. It's a fairy tale for masochists. A comedy for people who criticize punchlines. A fantasy most people can't understand. And a spectacle no one can deny. Lines are blurred. Heroes are villains. Budgets are cut. Business is business. Wyndham Rotunda. I, uh... I'm still kind of at a loss. Um... This was emotional. It was an emotional week. Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, dying at the age of 36. Um, it was reported and confirmed that it was a undiagnosed heart condition um, brought on by COVID uh, that he was recovering from. Uh, that it was reported by his dad that he was doing better. And it got him. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of a bittersweet. I mean, of course, bittersweet. There's nothing sweet about this at all. It's kind of weird to talk about because even though he's world champion and he accomplished so much, I still kind of feel, um, and I would blame Vince mostly, being everybody has to say, well, you know, everything goes through Vince that he squandered him a lot of times where he should have just destroyed. Um, but that's neither here nor there, I guess, at this point. We lost a guy who was well-loved in the business, who was uh, some of the older guys knew since he was a kid. Um, for those who don't know, he is the son of Mike Rotunda, uh, IRS. Grandson of Black Blackjack. Jack Mulligan, nephew, uh, of, nephew Barry of Barry Wyndham. His name's Wyndham Rotunda. Um, was that fifth generation, fourth? Okay, third generation, but he's a brother, brother just, of Bo. Yeah, brother of Bo Dallas. Brother of Bo Dallas. It's just that man's star was bright, and I know, and I don't want to get into the 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 baby part of this, uh, and I figured you wouldn't anyway, Craig on um, angles and matches and you know not all of them hit I agree uh, but the that man's star was so bright and I really can't help but think that it didn't shine bright enough and it had nothing to do with him um, for some reason I kept thinking about that match against the Undertaker and you know of course I think he should have beat him I do. Me too. With no question after that. He be the Undertaker. That's the man now. That's the guy. I just, I just, I do. I feel this. Didn't know the man. 
from Adam, you know, I, but I just feel this weird, great sense of loss that I cannot figure out or explain. Um, you know, this is a guy that was on a WrestleMania main event and then released. Of course he was brought back. Um, I'm at a loss for words on this one. I really don't know. Uh, GM Specter, and then I'll throw it to Chris. Uh, I think a great way to look at it is that he was able to carve out his own character, even with his family. I there, there's not much, uh, and I know we've, you know, talked about it on the show, Craig. But there's not much where I'm like, yeah, okay. There might be two or three segments, last matches, but as a whole, the guy was a, for hell, he's born into it. Was a top talent. And that's what it'll be remembered as. And also, apparently, well-loved by everyone. Uh, Becky Lynch had a moment after the show was over last night. Mm-hmm. After they were off there, t- she told an amazing story um, about uh, helping her with a, that first table match. Yeah. Um, just a a loss so profound, I, I can't really explain. Um, Omega Squad, you're the one that contact, contacted me about it. This Yes, it took a... This is what uh, took uh, Omega Squad to ask to come on, not me beg him. Yeah, I just want to point that out. But uh, yeah, Bray Wyatt. I going. would have said yes right. anyway if you begged me, Dan. I know, but I was gonna like, I'm not gonna just bring him on for this. And he was like, "Can I? I'm free if you." I'm like, "Yes, of course." Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's 36, man. I don't even. Yeah. I I think to your point about you not knowing what it is, why you feel this way about Bray Wyatt is I think it's because I think we feel cheated in a lot of ways. I think, and I think this is what it comes down to. Like we feel cheated in, in that his, his career is cut short. We feel cheated that he didn't get the way, as big as he probably should have, that she should have gone over undertaker. He should have been this huge monster heel, uh, and there's always a sense with Bray Wyatt that he could have been more if he had been allowed a little bit more freedom. If he had been in a place where he had the ability to let, just, just let it go, just do what he wants. And he did earn, to some extent, um, a little of that, at least with the promise, right? Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, Bray Wyatt this week about trying to trying to where does he fit in and more than anybody else in professional wrestling that I can think of I think that he was really trying to make art you know we we often talk about the art of professional wrestling and, they, and there's the in-ring stuff there's the promo speak the, the, I think Bray Wyatt brought Three three big things to that really speaks to me in the art side of professional wrestling. He brought the in-ring ability, a surprisingly agile man for his size. Um, a well moved in the ring, much better than Tyrus. Uh, but, um, uh, his his promos. Uh, his promos are you know his ability to speak on the mic. You know, you can, uh, is is he the best ever? Maybe not. 
but he certainly was unique. He certainly had a style. And that tipped right back into the fact that he is one of the most creative minds in professional wrestling that I've ever seen. Um, And it it is unique. I mean, there, there are certainly been, again, there are certainly been creative minds. There's certainly been big men that can move move the ring. There have certainly been big men, uh, big men who can really cut a promo and we all know them, but has anyone put it all together like Bray Wyatt. And I don't think you can speak. There is no one even com- you can even really compare Bray Wyatt to. He stands in his own little world. He's in, in, in an extremely memorable place. And you have to think, and, and that's where it is. Like in, you've said, you, you know, you talk about other people. You talk about Stone Cold. You talk about The Rock. You talk about Cena. You talk about Hogan. In some ways, they all have a lot of similarities, you know, or they have things that cross over to each other. Bray Wyatt doesn't. He just kind of sits out here, and he's just, and, and it's, it's been said a lot of lot this week. There will never be another Bray Wyatt, and I fully believe that. Like, I don't think you can find you will find a person with not with that kind of intellect, with that kind of creativity with that kind of athleticism that wants to do professional wrestling. Right. Uh, he, he was born into this, into this. He, you could tell he was born to be a professional wrestler. Um, and again, we feel cheated because he never, he, he, through no fault of his own, he, he never really achieved what we think he was. I mean, I tried to think back, you know, the, the, the obvious comparison uh, to losing Bray Wyatt is losing Eddie Guerrero. And um, yeah, you know, it, in, a, in a different way, I put Bray Wyatt right up there with Eddie Guerrero. Right. Cert- certainly in terms of like championships and things, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Eddie was Eddie, Bray was Bray, and you really can't, you really can't compare them. They're kind of on that same pantheon of uh of professional wrestlers um i you know i i go back to you know and and i went back to when we when bray wyatt was released uh, a couple years ago and what we talked what we all talked about when i listened to, the, to our discussion at that time and you know a lot of those things still resonate a lot of those things say like look this is a this is the most unique guy in uh professional wrestling if you can't do something with him you're doing it wrong. Um, and I think, unfortunately, some of that happened to Bray. But, you know, amongst people with entrances, one of the most memorable entrances oh, yeah. in professional wrestling oh, yeah. by far. History. Yeah, in history. The, I mean, and, it, and I said it on Twitter this week. If you haven't, if you did not sit in an arena and see Bray Wyatt's entrance and see the fireflies, you really didn't experience it because TV does not do it justice. No. The only thing I wish I had seen was something seen that at WrestleMania yeah. in a stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the most memorable entrance. The, all of his promos. Yeah. Again, the way he brought creativity, he talked a certain, a different way, brought different ideas, this pseudo-horror uh thing that you know yeah we've had undertaker and he is 
he's the not the undertaker but he is the an undertaker like figure that did things a lot of things better oh, than yeah. the undertaker yes. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um it, you know it just is i mean the, uh, i love the wyatt family i love i mean it's it, it's crazy to think that like we're we're sitting here and we we saw the four the, the you know, we think about the four members of the of the Wyatt family and half of them are gone now. Yeah. Um very, very, very sad. Um just just the way Bray Wyatt and, and the way Bray Wyatt took characters that probably shouldn't work. His characters, by and large, shouldn't have worked. But they all did. And that is that is entirely to the credit of Wyndham Rotunda. Um that is I mean mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the Southern Cult leader, yeah, you can get behind that. Fine. It was great. My favorite Bray Wyatt character. Period. Yeah. End of set. Mm-hmm. But then to come back and be a kid's show host. <laughs> and then the fiend, a Jekyll and Hyde character with all with all the pseudo supernatural stuff and still make it work. Very few people could have done that. Um, and just really isn't any anything to say more than it, it is sad. Like, like like to Dan's point, seems universally loved. Um, a a a stand up guy um, who was more and willing to help his fellow wrestlers get better, make people better, doing the job when he needed to do the job. Um, I'm glad that he got his. I'm glad that he at least got his title reigns. Perhaps too much, but yes. Perhaps, perhaps too much, but yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it would be almost a different conversation if if he didn't have any any legitimate title reigns. I think we would be even more devastated by it. Um, uh, but at least we can say that he did get to the top. Mm-hmm. And 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 have success. And even though the last two years was. A lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of stuff that didn't seem to go right. Um, that ultimately culminated in this week. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, it's been an emotional week from you know from that standpoint. It's been a traumatic week, and and this this one hit me pretty hard, yeah. um, almost as hard as Eddie did. Um, when Daphne reached out to WWE. And even though it was just on Twitter, I was like, "Oh, I'm 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 ready for this." Just the inkling that there might have been it might have been her sister Abigail, and now they're both gone. Just I don't know, man. This sucks. One aspect I really liked was that when he was stalking Miz. And he had a match, but it was the kids show host character and not the fiend. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was taking that McFoley thing of uh multiple characters, even more so than uh Undertaker, because he was one character at a time, uh to the next level in the best way possible. Um and I will and I'll say he was one of the best promo guys, no question. Oh yeah. It was like taking the incoherency that the warrior thought was coherent and making it coherent. 
completely. The, the coherent ultimate warrior. Yeah. I can see. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. As a promo guy, mm-hmm. I think that's actually, I think that's like one that's of the best analogies I've ever <laughs> made, ever made in my life. Pretty good. Yeah. Cause you know, the warrior was just, like, I think the one time warrior made sense was the plane crash and I'm still not hundred percent sure. Do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, GM Spectre said that is the perfect comparison. I never thought about it that way before. Someone quote me and tag me on Twitter, please. <laughs> I I want credit for one thing. Um. And yes, he was uh, not at the level of, of a guy like Mike Awesome, but you you kind of touch upon it, Chris. Uh, man, for his size, fucker could move. <laughs> um, I get chills still, even though it led to nothing. Um, and that's why I wish it led to something. Uh, that Undertaker match with him, and he does the spider walk, but then t- Taker does the sit up, and you see a little bit of uh oh <laughs> from Bray is. I don't understand. I don't want to make it about this, but I'm going to get the sentence out and then let Craig. Uh, and the, the the segment because if not I will or or Chris if you have more to say, um, I can't remember a better in the last ten years at least passing of the torch moment that they completely fumble fucked on than that one whether you liked him or not you it was right there. Yeah, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it still doesn't make sense to me. God um, damn it. Uh, Wyndham Rotunda um, did almost the impossible in professional wrestling in that he created characters that got over organically. Um, this was a guy that was Husky Harris in NX, in the Nexum, in the Nexus, rather. I'm sorry. Um, and then he comes back. God, I almost. forgot about that, Craig. Thank yeah, you. Everyone did. Yes. So this was Husky Harris when he was in, in Nexus, part of a very large group that had some future superstars in them. But then he disappears and he comes back almost unrecognizable as Bray Wyatt. Uh, Hawaiian shirt, hat, you know, slow voice. And these vignettes that uh, short, sweet, and they come and gone. Just like that. Didn't overstay his welcome. And that's what was so fascinating about Kim and the Wyatt family. Uh, and remember, they were they were going up against the rise of the shield at the time. Yeah. And for another heel group to get over while the shield was coming up, you got to be damn good. And he was, and not only to get himself over, but to get two no name guys that had talent, namely Eric Rowan and, um, and Brody King, uh, I'm sorry, Brody Lee, Luke Harper. like that. I mean, that's, and the entrance, I, uh, when he was alive, I said that Bray Wyatt had the best. And if I'm rating the greatest entrances in professional wrestling, his, uh, the brood and the road warriors are my, my top three, because 
Bray's entrance and just like his character getting over and his entrance, the fireflies was organic. No one told the crowd. No light up. This wasn't like the Goldberg pipe chance. Nope. Yeah. They just did it and everybody did it. Did it. And to have an entire arena on their own. When he was at his most over seeing you got the whole world in his hand. No one prompted the audience. They just started that. And that was because of Wyndham Rotunda and because of the character he created. No one. Even even on SmackDown this week. Yes. When the, with the, when the chair came out. When the chair came out, yeah. Oh, man, dude. Everybody, I, everybody's singing it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I lost it. Don't be sorry. We all lost it. It it was a tragic. It was a loss. You realize what a gem that they had. What an incredible talent. Again, made for this third generation uh, superstar. And third generation superstars, while they're plentiful, you know, at the top there's a rock, and at the bottom there's a, I don't want to say the bottom, but you know, you for our, for every Natalia Neidhart and Chavo Guerrero, you maybe get, you know, a Rock or Randy Orton, a third generation superstar that transcends everything. But Bray Wyatt was on the upper echelon of your third generation superstars because he knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he more than Orton more than the more than the rock uh got himself over and made himself a created a character that was singular that no one else there's never going to be another Bray Wyatt because there was never a first Bray Wyatt you know no one has ever done what he did you can say the three faces of Foley and what Mick did was he, he created a cactus jack and a dude love and then himself you know his last character was with him or i'm sorry mankind um mankind was a wwe creation uh cactus jack was his and dude love was something he did when he was a kid but Wyndham rotunda came up with bray wyatt and the the, the firefly funhouse and then the fiend that was all him the, those weren't wwe directed they didn't come up in creative and say why don't we call this guy the fiend and make him uh, impervious. Um, my, I was, I, I talked about this on our podcast. I don't know what the, the reasoning was for a putting Randy Orton in the Wyatt family, breaking him off, having him win the Royal rumble and then having him be Bray Wyatt for the world championship for what I said that when it happened in 2016, for I'll say what? Now. I'll Why say now. For what? Fuck! Does Randy Orton need another world championship when you're trying to get this guy over, where he could singularly be the next Undertaker? He's got you got leader of an over heel group. Check. Great performer in the ring. Check. Amazing on the mic. Check. Why did forego all that for Randy Orton? <sighs> Yeah, one one of the great tragedies is as much merch yes. as Bray Wyatt moved, so often overlooked. Yes, uh, but yeah, it, it's still. And again, I wasn't the biggest Bray Wyatt fan in the world then, and I thought the match was stupid because when the, on on television it looked good, having the mat turn into maggots or snakes or whatever. 
but live, you must be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, uh, dumb. Um, and I've been very vocal by criticism about the Firefly Funhouse or the uh, the match he had, the the theater, the uh, what what do they call the cinema match he had with John Cena? Cinematic C. match, yeah. Oh God, that's not right. Re- Amber's looking at me because she knows I've said this over and over again. That's not professional wrestling. Um, and I hated it. I thought it was stupid. Still think it's stupid. Um, I know John Cena loved it and he had a kick out of it. So it doesn't matter what I think, but. No one could do that except uh, Bray Wyatt. Um, his legacy is um, going to be honored uh, because no one did it like him. And no one will ever do it like him before. There has never been a, a someone like him do what he did that was just untouchable to, uh, to get yourself over the way he did so quickly and so enormous. And to have WWE dropped the ball again, which they're not really good at. When a guy gets himself over, they're so quick to act. Daniel Bryan, Bray Wyatt, LA Knight, um, and guys that just, even when they do get themselves over, they still don't do anything. Rusev Day, Damian Sandow. Yep. Um, but with uh with Bray, at least we like you said, we can say he got his title reigns. There would have been the even bigger tra- travesty if he never got a championship. I know we would say that about Eddie. Um, this is just the biggest shock is Eddie. The, the difference was Eddie was my favorite wrestler at the time uh, when that happened, which was yeah. and he was on his way to winning his second championship. Bray, we hadn't seen in so long um, that it was. Um, I was primed for uh, his comeback. I meant, in fact, he, I thought he was someone that we were going to see uh, before the year is out show up somewhere. Because, again, 36 years old, so much time left. And we were talking about Terry Funk doing all the great stuff that he did. And when people thought he was too old, um, Bray Wyatt, I think, was just getting started. He should have been the new Undertaker. That was a significant passing of the torch moment that uh, could have had this Undertaker right off in the sunset, which he should have done a long time ago. But Bray Wyatt as a new Undertaker, someone that can just come in as a heel or a face or to be a special tag team partner with somebody, that that's a license to print money right there. Um, because the, the guy was always going to be over, no matter what he did. Um just a, a real, real tragic loss. Um, and I'm I'm going to miss him uh, terribly. Because I loved him when I, he was here. Yeah. I mean, I assume we're going to see a Hall of Fame induction. Oh, we better. Next WrestleMania. I um, owe that to him after the... Y- yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, like, I try to think about, like... <sighs> I mean, where does Bray Wyatt kind of land in the pantheon of wrestlers, greatest wrestlers of all time? And I mean, I certainly, I don't, I think that he, again, it's, he's so unique. He kind of sits off on his own. I don't think you, you know, if you did a top 100 wrestlers, I think he lands somewhere in the top 30, Mm -hmm. maybe. 
you know, but I don't think, you know, do I think he's top 10? No, no but it's hard to, it's, it's hard to, again, it's hard to rank a Bray Wyatt, yeah. you know? And there's so many different, I mean, wrestlers, one, uh, promo, definitely. Um, crowd reaction, um, he'd be in a top 10 in that, in that yeah. category. In the promo category, he'd be in my top 10. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think you can certainly make arguments. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. everybody, everybody's going to have their own, their own opinions on it. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's always going to be a question mark. Yeah. You know, what about what if, and we, you know, we have that with a lot of people, but this, this one in particular. Yeah. The sense that he still had an enormous amount of creativity to give to the industry. Yeah. Um, really does kind of speak to how tragic this this is particular this one particularly hits so yeah he's this is this is like a uh, like a david von eric type of deal for me in that you know there is so much more we could have he we could have seen from him like he could have done um in the business um that's how i see it and i, I know i'm aging myself here because david's you know, David was 25 and, you know, he was on his way to being a world champion. But the same sense of loss with Bray was like, man, he's so much more that we could have seen him do or that he could have done. And they, he, they, he could have been the Undertaker um, character going forward. They had it right there. Yeah, they, they, they had it. They had it. Mm-hmm. You fuckers. <laughs> Yeah, but I, but I mean, if he was still, if he had been, if he had the heart defibrillator that he didn't have when they found him dead, uh, if he had his life had been saved or spared, I think we could have seen that, um, or or even another world championship, um, uh, with him because again, thirty six, so much more he he could have done, but yeah, this one, yeah, this one hurt. Uh, gentlemen, I think that's the best, the best place for you to say. I want to leave it in. Best place for us to leave it. Uh, Omega, I thank you for joining us. I wish it was in better circumstances, but I know this was important. It was a, uh, yeah. Jim Spector said twice a shitty week for deaths, and it, that's a good way of putting it, too. I still, yes. somebody, I want somebody to quote my, uh, Ultimate Warrior thing. Either one, <laughs> either the three, Jan Specter, Badass, if you heard it, uh, Omega, Craig, whoever, somebody quote me on that. Thank you very much. Um, Omega Squad, you only said your screen name 80 times this, but, but where can people find you, find you, buddy? You can follow me on, I guess, X now at Omega I Squad. I refuse to call it that just because it looks <laughs> stupid. I don't care that he called it X because unlike Elon Musk, I can respect name changes when somebody asks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it looks stupid. I'm just mad he messed up my outro I've had for almost 10 years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, really. Um, and my URL. Uh, Craig. There. Where you follow uh, you at things. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, folks, I'm fine. Me, Him follow me at... Uh, mm-hmm. 
at Lagans Craig at uh, Craig Lagans on on X Facebook and on Instagram. Um, my lips may not be as shiny and pink as Chris, but still, I I do my best. <laughs> nice. Um, I know my lips are pink, puffy, and beautiful. I've been told that by many people of all shapes and sizes and colors and, and genders. All shapes. You got a pretty mouth. <laughs> you got a pretty mouth. You can find this. You can follow this pretty mouth smiling at your asses all the time. Uh, whether you like it or not, I'm damn good looking. Uh, you can throw all the hate at me all you want. There isn't anything I you've said to me that I haven't said six inches in front of the mirror. <laughs> well, there. Uh, as much as you hate me, I hate myself more. <laughs> so eat that. So eat, so eat that, buttholes. <laughs> Tan ladies <laughs> on all social media platforms, whatever you call it this week. Uh, for Craig Lagans, Omega Squad, Chris Green. You have guessed by that last couple of minutes, I am the above average comedian. We'll see you next week. Keep it on the paper.